Welcome to another special edition of the Underground Bunker Podcast. I'm Tony Ortega, and I'm currently covering the Danny Masterson trial in Los Angeles. Week four of testimony wrapped up yesterday on November 10th. So we're going to compare notes again about this week with Jeffrey Augustine about the highlights of the past few days. Jeffrey Augustine, it's the end of the third or fourth week of testimony in the Danny Masterson trial. Uh, wow, four weeks. And uh, unfortunately, you had some prior commitments and were not able to attend this week. And uh, let me tell you, I missed you in court this week, man. Oh, I, I missed being there. But like I said, I had some business that was uh, already on my calendar. I could not get out of, but it was very interesting business. And But that'll maybe be a podcast for another time. Well, I thought what we'd do then is, uh, I know I know you've been paying attention, but I'm going to go through some stuff that I saw in court because I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, so this was a uh, somewhat short week, but it, it was four days, uh, not always with the jury, but I thought a very eventful week, some big stories this week. Let's start with Monday. It was casual day, and uh, we might have reached the height of our uh, sartorial splendor alerts on Monday when uh, Philip Cohen, defense attorney, came dressed very snazzy, even on casual day. I've noticed that readers are enjoying those reports, Jeffrey. But, uh, you know, hey, Philip Cohen has standards to uphold, right? He certainly does, being from the South Orange County. By the way, just so you know, Tony, I was there Monday. I was oh, okay, there right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. okay, good. Um, yeah, and he, uh, well, you saw what he was wearing. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the crack about South Orange County is, Jeffrey. I mean, come on. Um, it's an it's it's an LA thing. People in in LA dress differently than than than, than South OC. They just do. Okay, just okay. we'll leave it at that. Okay. And uh, what, what was funny? I made a joke about him shopping at the Nordstrom's Rack in Costa Mesa, which is again an an, uh, an LA thing. And uh, he wore a pinstripe suit the next day, as if I had rebuked him. Wow, <laughs> that's true. So anyway, um, the interesting thing for me that day was uh, D.A. Mueller. Uh, Judge Omedo is is somebody that really wants to know what the next thing happening is and keeping everyone on schedule. So she asked Deputy D.A. Mueller to, to, to spell out who he was still going to bring on the stand. And at that point, on Monday morning, he said he had four witnesses left. Jane Doe One's mother, Rachel Smith, Lisa Marie Presley, and Jane Doe Four. That's when we learned that um, that Lisa Marie was still definitely on the list. It was very exciting to hear her name on on Monday morning. Meanwhile, Cohen, who only put four, remember Cohen only put four names on his list to begin with: Bree Schaefer and three experts. And at this point, he he started saying he probably wasn't going to call all three witnesses. He might only call two or one or zero. So very interesting that this list of folks is getting shorter and shorter. Um, and they decided to put off talking about Lisa Marie Presley that day because the real fight they had to have was over Jane Doe 4. And I, it became obvious very soon that Cohen really didn't want Jane Doe 4 to testify. And just very quickly, so people understand, Danny Masterson is facing three counts of forcible rape against three women, Jane Doe 1, 2, and 3. The prosecution wanted to bring in Jane Doe 4, not because Danny's charged with any uh, on any allegation she's making, but simply as what's called a bad past acts witness. In other words, you know, her stuff predates everybody else's. She, she said she was raped in 1996, but to show that there was a pattern, right, with Danny. It's just like more corroborating evidence. And Cohen, sure, did, Cohen did not want her in. He was really fighting over that. And he made, I thought he made an interesting statement. He was saying, look, these three Jane Doe's have already alleged far more incidents than the three that are charged. And he said up to 50 sexual assault incidents have been alluded to just in the testimony of Jane Doe 1, 2, and 3. I, that blew me away that he thinks that the jury has heard that much. 
I don't, I'm not sure I agree. Well, yeah, he said there were dozens. He said, he said tens, dozens, 30, 40, 50. Yep. Sexual yep. assaults. Right. And, and, uh, he was really, you know, so he, it was obviously going to complicate his case even further to bring in Jane Doe four, like how he's, he's way out in deep water already with his client. And now Jane Doe four takes him out to even deeper water. He, I mean, I, I think I remarked that day that his tone of voice was really different. He, he really did not want her in, but Judge Omeda ruled that the defense had changed its approach enough to open the door for Jane Doe four. Um, and at that point, Cohen moved for a mistrial. Now I lost track. That was either six or seven at that point, something like that. But what was interesting to me was this was the first time he had moved for a mistrial not based on something a witness had said, not something the DA had done. He literally moved for a mistrial based on a ruling made by Judge Olmedo. I, I asked the league, the lawyers in our community if anybody could comment on that. Nobody did. That just seemed really unusual to me. Yeah, I've seen it done before in court, and uh, it's it's insulting to the court for one. Yeah, but he asked he asked to put it on the record. Because he's building a foundation for appeal. But if you notice, he also said, if Jane Doe 4 comes, he basically threatened to relitigate the case, that I've got to call back the detective. Oh, that's right. I've that's got to right. call back, you know, I've got to call back. Um, he said he's going to bring Doe's. back Jane Doe 2, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he threatened, he threatened to basically relitigate extensively and consume a lot more time. Well, that's not his courtroom. He, he's an officer of the court, but the judge gets to say, you know, who, who's called. So, so that threat sort of bounced off that he was, you know, so he asked, for, he asked for a mistrial and a new trial. Is that is exactly right. what he's saying? Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, yeah. So he, you know, Judge Omedo had made her original ruling to keep out Jane Doe for based on the fact that it was too time consuming. And so he was then saying, well, look, if you bring her in, I'm going to have to bring in Jane Doe too and bring back Vargas. It's really going to be time consuming, but she she didn't take that, and she, she she said no, she's going to allow it. And then he immediately pivoted. I remember you you had a you were that there that day, and you had a really interesting observation about this that she immediately he immediately pivoted to, okay, well you're going to allow that in. Allow me to bring in the the Jane Doe one Pete in the street. And I thought you had a really interesting uh, observation that you said that that this was a psychological move. He's like, look, she. She may be feeling that, yeah, probably she did hurt the their defense by allowing in Jane Doe four. So it's kind of like, so give me something. Um, but but she oh, didn't go for it. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to he wanted to be allowed to smear, uh, you know, one of the Jane Does for for peeing on the street. He brought it back up. It was sort of a very legal hooligan move, legal hooliganism. I'm yeah. gonna, you should let me allow allow me to smear this witness. If, if I don't get what I want, I thought this is where it was very amateur hour on his part. It, it, he, he just, there's better ways to do it. There's more sophisticated ways to do it, but he was getting into a little bit of, of uh, pushing hard on the court of what he could do. Uh, I wasn't impressed by it. And, and going back a step earlier, the reason that the judge allowed it is because the defense had changed strategy from consent to collusion. And that's, that was a real important part of the case, uh, Tony. Originally, their theory was these these Jane Doe's. There was there was consent. It's a, essentially, and I'm simplifying things here. But then Cohen changed it to where they got together and colluded to bring the case together. Yeah, and there was there was he you know he obviously didn't like that, and he argued for you know days about he didn't like that ruling and that his that things hadn't really changed and but whatever I mean. She did, I think she did throw him a bone because, you know, obviously he was super upset and he had not gotten, he had not been able to keep out Jane Doe 4. He had not been able to get the peed in the street thing in. So what she did give him at the end of that day was, okay, uh, with Jane Doe 4, she has two incidents. The second of the two does have a drugging, a drugging inference. Let's keep that one out. So she basically told Mueller at that time, Okay, you can have Jane Doe four, but only go into the first incident. So that's how we ended Monday. Correct. We came yeah. back. We came back Tuesday morning, and at that point, the defense moved to exclude Lisa Marie Presley. 
And, you know, you know, some of it was just based on relevance or whatever. But then Garrett Goldstein said something that got all of us reporters really intrigued. She said that there had been some last minute statement from Lisa Marie that had just come to them and they felt it was unfair. They didn't have time to review it. You know, that this was a breach of discovery rules. And so the judge then put Mueller on the spot. What's this all about? And, and this, oh, it was an amazing moment, Jeffrey. Um, Deputy DA Mueller explained that they wanted Lisa Marie Presley to come into court because remember, we've always been asking, what's she going to testify to? How is she related to this case? He finally spelled it out that she was going to come in. They wanted her to come in and testify that after Jane Doe 1's assault in April 2003, she was then thinking about and talking about going to the LAPD. And she was close friends with Lisa Marie Presley. They wanted Presley to testify that the Church of Scientology had asked her to dissuade Jane Doe 1 from going to the police. Then um, Mueller said that they had subpoenaed her and she had hired an attorney who then came to them and said, okay, but she may have to testify, uh, may have to take the fifth. And that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, Lisa Marie Presley would have to take the fifth? What does that mean? What that means, okay, think about it. They want her to come in and testify that she talked a rape victim out of going to the police on behalf of Scientology. Jeffrey, that's a crime. That's obstruction of justice. And Lisa Marie and her attorney knew that she couldn't just come into court and testify to that because she'd be, she would not just be testifying to Scientology committing a crime, but her taking part in it. And so Mueller then said, okay, he assured them, you know, he thinks it's out of statute. It's been too many years, but he would offer her immunity if that would help. And so she then came into the office and gave a statement last week. That's the statement he immediately turned over to the defense. Uh, I mean, I immediately ran out of the court at that break to give a video to explain this. I mean, it's huge, isn't it, Jeffrey? Oh, it's an, it's enormous when you have Lisa Marie Presley admitting that she engaged, you know, after the fact, <clears throat> something that uh, I wanted to mention, is there somebody who, there's a church official who told Lisa Marie Presley that they wanted her to do this, right? Right. And that, and that will very likely come out in the civil case. And, and to just use a, a phrase from a movie, who ordered the code red? I wanted well, to know... Yeah, well, let's let's get to that next. The the, the other foot yeah. dropping is that okay. So, not only had did they want her to testify to that, but apparently there's a text message from Lisa Marie years later apologizing to Jane Doe one for being a part of that. So that's that's pretty crucial too. Is they have actual you know evidence that she she you know apologized for that. So I'm sitting there. My head is swimming. Oh, my goodness. Lisa Marie Presley was planning to take the Fifth Amendment. She's got, she's got firsthand proof that Scientology committed this crime because she was part of it. But then the thing that just sort of like pulled the rug out from under us is Judge Omedo immediately said, you can't testify to that in this case. That's that that's for the civil lawsuit about Scientology's harassment. It's, it has nothing to do with Danny Masterson. And it was like the, oh, man. I mean, we're this close to real evidence of Scientology obstruction of justice being testified to under oath. And Judge Omedo says, nope, can't do it in my court. So that was really super disappointing. Um, but I could see her point of view. Sure. She's got to, she has to watch out for the interests of both sides. <clears throat> and based on how the, the, what they agreed to at the beginning, she just said no for this case. And that's Judge Almeida, uh, you know, rule, that's her ruling and that's what her ruling is. So it was, it was disappointing, I agree, because to hear Elvis Presley's daughter, who was in the Church of Scientology, being ordered or told by a senior church official to engage in obstruction of justice is, is a bombshell revelation. 
And the fact that, that Lisa Marie had the integrity to come forward, talk to her lawyer, and she was well advised by her lawyers, uh, you know, about getting immunity. Uh, that's just so clear cut, Tony. It is. It, it is. So and, I, and I also want to remind people, we reported that back in 2014, she left Scientology after having, having to, trying to have this big showdown with David Miscavige. Um, my my sources on this are impeccable, including Ron Miscavige, who was very close with Lisa Marie, and she told him all about this encounter. She tried to have a showdown with him because Ron, because David Miscavige was not allowing his father, Ron, to see his own daughters, David Miscavige's sisters. Lisa Marie tried to have a, a showdown with him. He sent in his sisters instead. And she stormed out of there in, in Florida, and she left Scientology in 2014. Of course, there's been some question about that in recent years because she's had such a tough several number of years with the custody fight with her ex-husband, Lockwood. Um, that case settled ultimately. It went through so much, the custody, the money. That case finally settled on October 3rd. I believe it was October 4th that I first reported that she was going to be a witness in this case. So I, I think, I think there was that, that those two things are definitely related and I'm hoping to write more about it later on. But the point is, you know, she was willing to come in and testify to Scientology committing obstruction of justice. So I think that should suggest she's still on the outs with David Miscavige, but that was super disappointing that she wasn't going to say that. And we hope she gets to say it sometime. Well, it also speaks to the strength of her character, her integrity, that she'll come forward. It definitely says she's on the outs with David Miscavige in Scientology. I, I'm glad you feel that way, too. Yeah. So the next morning, Wednesday morning, is when we heard the further bad news that because her testimony had been so gutted by that ruling, the government just decided not to bring her in at all. It just wasn't worth it for what that what she could still do, which was disappointing because I thought, you know, this is Mueller. He could probably figure out a way to get some of that stuff in anyway. But they decided not to not to call her. Instead, that Wednesday morning is when they brought in Jane Doe 4. And we were super excited about this because she had given us permission that uh, to identify her. And so we were the first news organization to identify that Jane Doe 4 is, in fact, an actress named Trisha Vesey, highly respected actress who was in some really interesting films in the late 90s, early 2000s. And she has come forward to allege two incidents of sexual assault by uh, Danny Masterson. And they at that point, they were only going to let her testify to one. Um, I think it was uh, about five hours later, the second news organization to get permission was the Rolling Stone. So that nice, another nice little scoop for uh, the underground bunker. And, uh, you know, uh, just very, very proud to be able to present uh, who she was because, you know, I just think she's a fascinating person. And, uh, and, and let me tell you, let me just tell you a little bit about her testimony, Jeffrey. She, she was really, she was really uh, interesting to watch. She was methodical. She took her time on her answers. Um, I mean, she's a, she's a, you know, accomplished actress. She obviously has an interesting presence on the stand. Um, she obviously took things very seriously. I, I just thought her testimony was very compelling. Of course, I did look over the jury was, you know, just totally focused on her. Uh, I thought she, you know, she, and, and I, I, for, in some ways, I felt that this was really a big impact. Sure, it was 26 years ago, but this was another actor. Who had act who had just acted in a movie with Danny Masterson? So now we're talking about someone who's more like a peer. Do you understand what I what I mean by that? Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very contemporaneous. She, her her testimony is, you know, as I as I read your transcript from the court, lays it out quite clearly. And so so the context was important, but it also breaks Cohen's theory that. She's she's not she's not suing Danny Masterson. It right. shows she didn't collude with the other Jane Doe's. Right. So she she has nothing. She has nothing. You know she's not a party in the case. 
insofar as she's not suing. And, and Cohen has a real hard time with her. And you can see why he didn't want her in there because her testimony is so powerful. Well, and, that, and I'm glad you brought that up because it was important. I think that's another reason why the, the prosecution wanted her in is she's not only what's called a past bad acts witness. I believe 1108 is the code, but uh, and 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 it's important. Her allegations are not charges that Danny Madison's facing. They're just showing you know a pattern, but that she was never a Scientologist. She knew virtually nothing about these other women and their allegations and, and didn't talk to them recently. And she's not in the civil lawsuit. So none of the things that the defense has pointed to apply to her. I think you're right. That's one of the things that made the defense so nervous about her and why they didn't want her in. Yeah, she does corroborate it. And, and you note uh, in your reporting that uh, there's a lunch break Jury leaves and Cohen has an epic meltdown. Was oh, it the let biggest me tell you. Meltdown? Yeah. Oh, no question. It was. I mean, he. Oh, he was so hot. He was so angry, and it was interesting, Jeffrey. I wish you'd been there because it. It was. We. I know some of us reporters were looking at like, what's he so upset about? He claimed there were two things that she had said on her first set of testimony that violated everything. One was. The reason why they were allowing her just to describe incident one was there was no drugging inference. I mean, she freely admitted she drank a couple of glasses of wine at La Poubelle. They went up to Danny's house, everybody in the cast. There was, you know, a handful of people. They drank even more. She smoked a little marijuana. She was feeling lightly drunk, decided to go to sleep. She and a friend picked out a bedroom. Her friend jumped on the bed. She slept on the floor no input, no, you know, she never took anything from Danny. She never took a drink from him. So, but at some point, Mueller had asked her something about how did you feel or something. And she made some slight thing about it, you know, that she felt what she felt didn't really correlate to what she had drunk. And Cohen just said, that's it. That's a drugging reference. You know, you've, you've violated this. This is terrible. Uh, and the other thing he said was that she had, she had, he said she had repeated something that the other friend of hers, this Justin Pierce, this actor had said that night and that this, and they had talked about this before that no utterances from anybody else in the house should come in. So Cohen just blew up. He just said, you know, the prosecution's playing by a different set of rules. I've been following the rules. This is ridiculous. And yes, I want a mistrial. Well, I, I just to jump ahead a little bit, this morning, one of the other reporters and I, uh, she she came over to me. She said, did you, did you go through your notes about that? I said, I did. I told her I did. She and I both went through our notes last night, and neither one of us could find an utterance by that Justin guy. And the reason I point that out is that in both these cases, in the drug reference, supposed drug reference, and the Justin utterance, we just can't see what Cohen was saying. And that's what Judge Olmedo said. I mean, I, had to, I have to hand it to her because if, if he was so worked up, he was so upset, and she was looking at him, and she just calmly started saying that, she, you know, she just told him, you're, you're exaggerating. And once I went back in my notes, I realized she was right. She knew what the testimony was. She knew that Cohen was, was you know, protesting too much, basically. Sure. That's some of his courtroom theatrics. I've, yeah. seen Cohen, I've seen Cohen deliberately engage in courtroom theatrics, and that's to be expected for attorneys, right? Right. And he tends to get very intense, I think, when he when he feels cornered and he gets even argumentative with the judge and she'll Judge Almeida will push will push back on him. And but the second but what you noted is that they the judge had ruled that the second incident was going to be not included. But how did that get brought in? Yeah, let me tell you about that. That was crazy. Yeah. And 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 so so she so he calls for his mistrial. She says no. Um, but she does after lunch, um, oh, so, so then DA, DA Mueller had some, somewhere around in there, DA Mueller had gone a little past the first incident 
And Judge Omedo had shut things down, take out the jury, says, where are you going? Because she thought maybe he was going to the second incident. He said, no, he just wanted to bring in this other thing where they were at a producer's house and Trisha went to the bathroom and Danny got in the doorway to block her way and just stared at her. And she just found this really intimidating. Again, this was after the first incident when when he had sexually assaulted her. So he said, I'm just trying to get there. Okay, so he does that. And then he says, no further questions. Let's go for cross-examination. At that point, Cohen says, can I approach? And so they have a sidebar. So we wait a little bit. They break from the sidebar. And Judge Olmedo says, okay, we're going to resume direct examination, Mr. Mueller. And I'm like, what? Uh, it's Cohen's turn. What's going on? Then Mueller starts leading Trisha to incident number two, the one they had fought so hard for, against, the one that the defense did not want in, the one that has the drug reference, which is that uh, in the second incident, which happened about a month later, Danny just showed up with some friends, some male friends in a car. They had dropped him off. He came up to her apartment. He had a flask with him. She just had a couple of swigs, and in about 20 minutes, she was practically falling down drunk. So again, the inference, maybe there was something in their drink. They can't testify that there was, but the, the inference is clear. And then he, pulled her pan- yeah. th- then he pulled her pants off. He was on top of her, and she found herself being raped again. So I, know, I can tell you, uh, so the, the reporters, we were all looking at each other like, what happened? What happened? Well, you know, by the end of the day, I guess we all had realized that you know, Mueller couldn't have asked for that without a big fight from Cohen. And Judge Olmedo couldn't have suddenly decided that on her own. The only explanation, the only logical explanation was that in that sidebar, Cohen had said, okay, go into incident two. And this is, what do you think? Well, well, a couple things. Um, he may have decided to roll the dice because at one point Judge Olmedo said, look, uh, Mr. Cohen, your strategy and tactics are up to you. And right. so he may have made a he may have made a tactical courtroom decision that he could get something out of this because it, it, you as you reported. Um, on cross, she's fighting Cohen's attempts to characterize her words or put words in her mouth or twist it into something it's not. Right. You also have an interesting note about when Danny's trying to penetrate her or is penetrating her, she asks about a condom. Yeah. And and he says diseases are in the mind. Right. Well, that's that's a pure Scientology thing. Diseases Absolutely. are in the mind. And right. to me, that, that evoked Jenna Elfman's words where she said AIDS, AIDS is a state of mind. Right. And, and Jenna Elfman denies saying it, but Radar covered it when she said it but nevertheless it's kind of bizarre and then also the thing that got in when cohen made this decision to allow the second incident that you reported she said danny was throwing a party and he was djing under the name of donkey punch right so that donkey punch got into the court record yeah, I mean, well, no, she had it stricken. The judge had it stricken, but the jury heard True, it. And I don't, and, and it wasn't, well, there was no context. I don't think the jury has any, probably has any idea what that was a reference to. But, um, well, yeah, I'm sure they, do, I'm sure they, they, they don't, but I'm just saying, nevertheless, it's just, it's just one of those things that happens at trial. And so I think Cohen agreeing to let the second incident go in was a bad tactical decision. Given that he had to have approved it at sidebar, because he had an agreement, uh, he, it, ha- it had to be Cohen. And so then the question yeah. is, why would Cohen then decide to allow the second incident in? Did he feel that it was such a breach the first time with this supposed drugging reference, which again just wasn't there? Judge Almeida was right that the jury did not hear anything in that first incident that had that even suggested that Danny had drugged her. But I, I don't know. I, I, but the only thing I can think, and I'm probably wrong, Jeffrey, is that it looked like Cohen felt he had something in the second incident simply because she described Danny and these friends showing up in a car. He gets out of the car. She lives upstairs from a garage. And they go up to her room. 
And he just asked her again and again. So you invited him up. So see, I think Cohen felt maybe there was something there that he could use that if she was raped just a month before, why would she invite him up? But that just seems so thin compared to what she was able to testify, which was, yes, the condom thing and diseases are in the mind, the DJ donkey punch thing. I mean, so much came in once Cohen opened that door uh, I don't I don't know. It just seemed like a very strange decision on his part. I'm sure there's some defense attorney out there who will explain to us that maybe Cohen knew he had a great, uh, uh, you know, item for appeal or something. But I tell you, I was just really surprised we got to hear about that second incident. I, I, yeah, I was too. And I think, you know, in the heat of battle, uh, a, a criminal defense attorney can make what what he or she thinks is a brilliant tactical decision on the spot only to have it backfire. There may be an under logic, underlying logic that will come out in closing. We don't know. So that's the wait and see on that. But it was strange yeah. after all the fighting he did for him to uh, to relent and uh, allow uh, D.A. Mueller to go forward with it. Um, Tony, before we go to Thursday in closing, yeah, can sure. we go, can we wanna, th- this, this I want to ask you about because I found it so very interesting yeah. Um, you reported previously on uh, China Phillips, her, oh, yeah. her classic California social media oversharing where she wrote right. about someone named Dan and a foot rub that led to sex. What, right. Can you let, let our listeners know what that was about? This is, I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I have said that China Phillips is interesting to me. She is uh, Bijou's sister. And she um, is an evangelical Christian. She's not a Scientologist. She's married to Billy Baldwin. And she has this YouTube vlog she calls California Preaching. And uh, she she likes to talk about her relationship to Jesus. And she has these wonderful phrases like, Holy Spirit, activate. I, it's cute. It's fun. And she's got a lot yeah. of fans who, who, who love... And as I've said multiple times, she's a classic oversharer. And that's why I check on it once in a while is because she'll say some things about the Phillips or Masterson or Baldwin families that is applicable to this case. And and the the classic one is that at one point, for example, she went over to Danny and Bijou's house in Santa Inez for, I I can't remember which holiday it was, and, and interviewed Bijou. And they... About Danny, and 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 Bijou and Billy Baldwin were talking about what a strong island type Danny is because he's from Long Island, and they made it very clear that they what they meant was a very macho guy with women. And I just thought, wow, you're talking about that when he's facing rape charges. It was just an interesting story. Well, once I published the transcript of that video she yanked it down but that's why that's why i keep an eye on it because every once in a while she says something interesting so yes i know i so when she came to court it was fun for me to see her there and so all last week not this week she was there today but all last week she was there her first her first day in court was the day jane doe two gave her testimony and you know how brutal that was, right? So Jane Doe too is talking about him jackhammering her and harming her, her saying, no, 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 just brutal testimony. The next day, November 3rd was the fourth anniversary of her YouTube channel. And so she did a special episode where she talked about the three things she regrets most in her life. And all three of them, involved being manipulated by men. Now, some people have said to me that she's doing a subtle form of slut shaming. Um, But I just thought it was interesting that after hearing about this brutal rape, that she had then gone home and talked about times when she found herself compromised by men, in particular, this incident with this guy, Dan. People have wondered about the name, but look, this, this, she said this happened in high school and when China was in high school, Danny was like eight. Okay, so this was not a reference to Danny Masterson. Sure. Um, but some guy named Dan, and they, you know, she ended up having sex with him, and he was her his her best friend's boyfriend, and so it was all a big scandal. And again, I will acknowledge some people feel that she was doing a, a subtle form of slut shaming of the Jane Doe's, 
she may have thought she was. I just thought it was, um, I thought she looked like an idiot, honestly. And so I posted that. And she then yanked down the video. She has now put the video back up with that story about Dan removed. And now it is the two things she regrets most in life. So that's that's the background on her. But you found that interesting? Well, I did. And, and I'll tell you why. Over on my blog, The Scientology Money Project, I was doing a, a, a piece. This was maybe a year ago, over a year ago before trial started. And I, had, I found an obscure video of Bijou Phillips being interviewed on a movie set. And um, she basically says she had to sleep with the director to get the part. Really? Yes. And immediately the video got taken down. Wow. So now I, I it, it was there. You know, I have a copy archived. Uh, I'm not going to put it back up, but I do have a copy. I saved a copy. Interesting. From YouTube downloader. And it was not complimentary to her. And it made me think about the dynamics of the relationship between Danny and his wife, Bijou. Now, another interesting point, cameras are not out the courtroom, okay? Right. But I was sitting there and and in profile I could see I could see Bijou, her stepsister China, stepsister Mackenzie Phillips. They're not they're ha- they're, they're sisters, they're half sisters, they're not stepsisters. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Yes, half sisters. They were all next to each other in profile. It would have been a beautiful photograph sitting there together. But but this um, characterization of Bijou, a director said she had no separation between her conscious and unconscious mind and would do anything. And and that's why he hired her. So she's a fascinating character study in and of herself. And maybe on down the road, I always wanted to know how they met and got together and got married. And she, he, Danny's the one who brought her into Scientology. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, so I'm saying, I'm saying she was the one that got brought into Scientology. Yeah. But she's, she's obviously stood by her, her, you know, her husband, she's there yeah. with him in the trial. So th- that was just, just an interesting bit that, that it China is interesting. Offer this. People have asked me why I don't write more about Bijou during this. And I, I purpose, I know there's a lot of material about her out there and some accusations about her behavior on set with other actors. And I just felt that, look, she's married to this man who's on trial for his life and she's showing up every day and it's really about him. This is really about him. And and I'm not trying to hide anything about her. I just felt no. that for now, it's more important to focus on the allegations about him and what might happen. And maybe down the road, we'll take a, a closer look at her. But um, that is an interesting observation you make. And yeah, she's there with uh, China and Mackenzie today, by the way. And I'm sorry, it, I had to, it got kind of truncated and I edited it later. Today we heard from Mackenzie Jeffrey. Really? Uh, yes, there was a there was a light moment when Judge Omedo was just sort of she she likes to in, engage in small talk and as a matter of fact, uh, the very first week during jury selection, she had told the potential jurors that she's the kind of person that will just walk up to anybody and have a conversation. She's very extroverted mm-hmm. that way, and she loves chatting with people. And so she was chatting today. And she was talking to Karen Goldstein and and Ariel Anson and and the court reporter. And then she said she stopped and said, "See what I mean? I told you the first you know first week that I'll just talk to anybody." And then Mackenzie Phillips said, "Well, can we talk to you?" Hmm. And wow. and the judge was like, and it was friendly. It was like you know she'd like to be part of that banter too. And the judge smiled and said, "Yeah, you know, I, I that's probably not a good idea." And she kind of said something like, I'm not supposed to chat with the family or whatever. So it was all friendly. It was all, everything was cool. I I, I kind of understood where Mackenzie Phillips was coming from. She felt like she'd probably like to take part in a little small talk too. But it's just not a good idea. But that was no, interesting. That was, the, that was the first time I've heard her say anything in court at all. Hmm, that's interesting. So moving on to Thursday today. Yeah, so that was part of today. And then we got going. And um, the Trisha Vesey cross-examination finished up. 
And uh, once again, she just would not, you know, she really kind of gave it back to Cohen. Um, I think at uh, one point, uh, you know, he, Judge Almeida's done a good job with both sides. She's done this to Mueller too, not just Cohen, that she will not let them be smart asses and belittle witnesses. And, you know, because attorneys can very easily get into a tone where they sound like they're sort of mocking what the people have said. She won't let them do that. Today, Cohen kind of got there a little bit because Trisha had testified that after the incidents with Matt Masterson, when she was in his presence, she would shake. Her body would shake, this kind of uncontrollable psychological reaction or physical reaction to being around this man. And he kind of got to the point where he was mocking it a little on the edge where it was like, well, that time when you had an addition, were you shaking then? That time he gave you a ride, were you shaking then? You know, it was just, it was, it, it was approaching really being inappropriate. And sure. at one point he, at one point he asked her about, well, at this point, were you shaking? And she said, you know, I don't have a shake meter. Oh man. It just, <laughs> wow. it was such a great comeback because it, it not only kind of like shoved this question back, but it, it really made, him look bad for that whole sequence. You know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of person she was. And like I said, she's methodical. She um, she 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 thinks about what she's going to say and says it very well. I just found her really compelling. So they finished up with her, and then they brought on Rachel Smith, who was another um, person who knew Jane Doe too, and who lived was her next door neighbor in 2003, and had talked to her about this. You know that that she had told Rachel about this incident with Masterson. She was a Scientologist at the time. And, and once again, we get another person saying that when I was in Scientology, I was taught to believe this was, you know, you're, you're at fault for your own victimization. Now later, I think differently about it. So Cohen kind of dug in with her about the idea, again, the idea of changing your mind or whatever, but I thought she did well. She was obviously nervous, but uh, I thought she, you know, one thing that she said that really struck me was she she was talking about how sad she was that 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 we had gotten to this point because at one time she was friends with Danny she was friends with Jane Doe too and she really is sad that it's gone to this point but she also testified that she was really afraid about what Scientology might do so that was the she got done Jeffrey and then we realized that they weren't going to call Jane Doe one's mother that they basically were out of time. And Judge Omedo then started talking in a way that made it sound like Rachel Smith might have been the last witness in the whole trial. And the reason I say that is this. Judge Omedo laid out a schedule where Monday morning she will allow the uh, prosecution to rest in front of the jury. But they don't. She double checked with them. You're not bringing any more witnesses, right? Mueller said, nope. So they're going to rest, and then it's the defense's turn. And she kept saying, if the defense calls no witnesses, then we will go to working on jury instructions and adopting those Monday afternoon, and we will go to closing arguments on Tuesday. And she kept saying, if they call no witnesses, like she knows something, right? Now, of sure. course, of course, the defense could call some witnesses Monday. And then, and then whether they do or don't, at that point, when they're done with their witnesses, then Judge Olmedo told Danny, I will then come to you and ask you your decision about whether or not to testify. And I will say again, people get really excited about that. That's her job. Her job is to tell the defendant that they have a right, that it's not up to the attorney, that if the defendant wants to testify, they can, and the judge has to ask them directly Every person I've, every expert I've consulted has said there's very remote chance that he will testify. But what I'm, what was interesting to me was she laid out a scenario where Rachel Smith was the last witness in the trial and will be at closing arguments by Tuesday. And I just thought that was, you know, some people have asked me, well, isn't the defense going to put on a case? And I said, no, but their case has been cross-examination all along, right? Sure. Sure, and and as uh, Sharpie pointed out in the bunker, uh, commenting that they they don't the defense doesn't have to put on a case 
It's the, right. it's the bur burden of the state to prove their case. And, and, and also, I think uh, Cohen had contemplated uh, calling some memory experts. And right. I think and I think that would be a bad move because that puts him into some quicksand. It's just quagmire because memory experts cut both ways. You yeah. don't know if a memory expert would say, yes, uh, a rape victim can recall a very high degree the trauma, but maybe not some other things. And as we saw uh, from the previous expert, that uh, that trauma victims ha have counterintuitive recall. So they do right. things you don't think. So I, I think Cohen doesn't want to go there because that could put him in over his head with problems he doesn't want at this point. He's already He already had enough problems with Jane Doe Ford, let alone some memory experts who could be cross-examined. Well, I also so, think I also think he might not call witnesses because, and I said something about this last weekend. <clears throat> keep in mind, I think both sides think they're winning, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that I think Mueller thinks that they're doing well. I think Cohen thinks the defense is going well, and so why, you know, why risk that by putting on some witnesses that maybe, you know, change the outcome? So. Uh, I, I don't know. They may, you know, somebody also said to me they could bring on rebuttal witnesses that aren't even on their witness list. And they could they could bring in seven or eight witnesses. We'll be there all week. But just the well, way yeah, the yeah. judge. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, rebuttal witnesses. Look how Sean Fabo swamped for them. It's horrible. <laughs> if there's if there's any any rebuttal witnesses that are attached to the Church of Scientology, he already saw what Sean Fabos was just a disaster. So I don't think he's inclined to bring on rebuttal witnesses who have a lot of baggage or might come across as not telling the truth. Right. So, so it could hurt him a lot more. The, 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 the downside for him is, in my opinion, the downside for Cohen bringing on more witnesses is worse than any upside he could get out of it. Well, I could be wrong. Like I, said, I could be wrong. You know, he could bring on some, a few rebuttal witnesses. And the, the prosecution hasn't rested. They could bring on Jane Doe one mom Monday if they want to, but he said he wasn't going to. So I, I assume he's not going to change his mind over the weekend. But like I said, Judge Omedo was talking like she knew something and that defense wasn't going to call any witnesses at all. She wanted them to be prepared to do jury instructions Monday afternoon and closing arguments on Tuesday. I think that if the defense does call a witness or two, we're still going to get closing arguments by Wednesday because they want this thing done Friday. They do not want this to go into the Thanksgiving week. Nobody does. So whether it's closing arguments Tuesday or Wednesday, I think they want to give this thing to the jury by Thursday so that they have enough time to get us a verdict on Friday. That's, that seems to be the schedule and uh, you know, kind of exciting. I, I don't know. Uh, I, like I said last weekend, none of us really knows where they are. We don't know what the jury's thinking. No, but we'll know. The picture will be clear by Monday. And I'll be there. I'll be back in court on Monday. So, Jeffrey, the other big news we got today, just as um, court was finishing up, we heard about the, the Paul Haggis verdict in New York. And the news was that the jury has found Paul Haggis liable and have awarded Haley Breeze $7.5 million. Um, and uh, I really like the coverage in both Deadline and the Daily Beast. The Daily Beast had a very good story this afternoon, wrapping the whole thing up and going over the whole history of the case. I thought they did a really good job. So if you want some details on that, read that piece. And uh, thoroughly went over the fact that, you know, Haley Breeze and four other women testified that they were attacked by Paul Haggis. Haggis said it was consensual, but then there was this whole defense about the fact that he's a very famous defector from Scientology. Both Mike Rinder and Leah Remini testified for him, suggesting that possibly Scientology was behind this. But of course, there's no evidence that Haley Breeze has anything to do with Scientology. And that, that argument didn't win the day. The jury just decided that he was liable and that he is going to have to pay her this money. And then there's going to be further discussion Monday about punitive damages on top of that, plus attorney's costs. So this is a big, big blow for Paul Haggis and, and his career. He's already testified that his career has stopped and it probably just makes sure that it will. 
And, you know, of course, people are wondering what we think about it, Jeffrey. And look, I just want to make it very clear from the beginning, I was saying what I wanted to see was that justice was done and that if Haley Brees, you know, was going to have a day in court, that the court would give her a fair trial. And they seem to have done that. So um, to my interest, of course, is as a Scientology watcher, what can we take away from this? And I just have to say that. Again, there was never any actual evidence that Haley Breast or her attorneys were involved in Scientology. But I, what I don't want to be lost after this verdict was that there was some real evidence that came out specifically about Tommy Davis trying to gather material to blackmail Paul Haggis and also that a few years earlier he had gathered material to blackmail Tom Cruise's publicist Pat Kingsley, and the verdict in this case does not change that. If, you know, of course I'm disappointed for Paul, I know him personally, but I just hope people don't forget that this case actually did have some of the best evidence we've seen of how Scientology retaliates against people it considers its enemies. Sure, and you and you you published some some testimony uh, last week in your blog that came from the trial. Um, yeah, the deposition I, of Shauna Brakefield is what I'm referring to exactly. Exactly, and I just wanted to get that name in there. And I agree with you completely, Tony. Uh, uh, Paul Haggis had his day in court, as did Haley Brace. She prevailed in the civil case, and she was awarded 7.5 million, and there'll be punitive damages, and that is justice done. Yeah, I mean, they got a jury and the jury decided. So, again, um, I just don't want lost the fact that it doesn't really change the fact that real evidence of how Scientology gathers blackmail to go after its enemies was introduced in this case, and the verdict doesn't change that. I guess my takeaway is Paul Haggis lost a lawsuit, but Tommy Davis is still a wanker. I mean, that's that's the way I think about it. I agree 100%. And when you cover the story of Tommy Davis during the pendency of the trial, accosting Paul Haggis's ex-wife and his daughter on the New York City street, that would that goes to the point he still is a wanker. <laughs> that was crazy, or, Jeffrey. I mean, I, I'm sitting. I had that morning. I mean, that yeah, about noon. I had rushed out to report that Lisa Marie Presley had planned to take the fifth amendment amazing coverage story. I wanted our, you know, subscribers to know right away. So I went out, made a video and quickly put that out that afternoon. I heard about this incident in New York where Tommy Davis had accosted Paul Haggis's ex-wife outside his apartment. Yeah. And they had testified in court and he said, hey, I always took care of you when you were in Scientology. And what was... is... there is no impulse control with Tommy Davis at times, it seems. Just crazy. And I mean, he's accosting witnesses from a trial while the trial is still going on. Uh, just a bizarre decision. I, I, I left the message at his number. I sent him an email. He hasn't gotten back to me. He doesn't like me too much. He's made that clear. But um just you know bizarre that he would do that i'm i'm sure he's happy about the result of the trial but um uh anyway yeah i yeah that was quite a day when i was dealing with the lisa marie presley and tommy davis news on the same day and got those stories out and and i want to listen i just want to thank the readers who have been telling me how um excited they are to read stories like this that they can't get anywhere else you know, I mean, there's been some really good coverage of the Danny Masson trial, but Jeffrey and I bring you details that the other people aren't bringing you. And, and the Tommy Davis story, I don't think anybody else had that. So I, I appreciate it because we're working hard. Believe me, we are working hard. Those days, oh, that day was crazy. I was literally, I was literally interviewing a source for that Tommy Davis story while I was trying to eat my dinner after that long day. <laughs> People don't yeah. want to hear it. It's like, it's, no. you know, life of a reporter, who cares, Ortega? I'm just saying that was quite a, it's been quite a week. 
And um, next week, uh, you know, we're getting close. And next week, you will be back, right, Jeffrey? I will be back Monday, bright and early, ready to go. And we'll find out that day if there's going to be any defense witnesses. And we'll find out that day if Danny's going to testify. Most people tell me there's no chance. But I was telling, you know, channel the local Channel 7 interviewed me today. And I said, look, you know, all the experts will tell you that you know, he, there's no way he's going to testify. However, I just have to think he's looking at, and I know they're civil cases, they're not criminal, but I think he just has to look at Johnny Depp and um, Kevin Spacey, who were both accused of abuse, both took the stand, and both really kind of charmed people and, you know, got out of, you know, got a really good result, basically. And I, sure. I have to think he's looking at that and thinking about it. The problem for him, though, would be then he would be just face a brutal cross-examination. So I, I'm sure his attorney's telling him, don't do it. Yeah, but you know, it's so interesting, Tony. And I, and I agree. I don't, think, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell he'll take this down. But in our criminal justice system, there's this, this golden moment where the criminal defendant has this just this rare moment where he or she's not advised by their attorney and it's their decision alone. Yep. And the judge asked them, do you want to testify? And it's that moment where they're at a crossroads and it could be the difference between going to prison for 45 to life and having one last shot. Look, you know, one last shot at the jury. And here, right. here's, here's, my, here's my reasoning. Danny did not take a plea deal. He thought he could beat it. But if he's been watching Cohen and he thinks that he needs to, you know, he thinks that he needs to tell his story on the stand, there's an enormous temptation. Do I shut up and, you know, not incriminate myself or risk it? Or do I tell the, or do I, do I get to tell my story? I've had to sit here for week after week in this withering onslaught of, the women who are accusing me of raping them. Yeah. And so there's that one golden moment where he gets to make that decision that could ter- determine the rest of his life. Yeah. And that's a very powerful thing. And that's why the state lets the, lets the criminal defendant make the decision in that moment for himself or herself. So he's going to be faced with that. What does he want to do? I think he takes the advice of his attorney to not take the stand and that could hurt him. Now, even though there's jury instructions that you're not to take that into account. Right. I was on a jury once. It was a murder trial. It was pretty, it was horrific. Uh, a, a drug dealer had stabbed a, um, a woman to death. Hey. And it was, ve- it was very graphic. The drug dealer, he never took the stand. Now, we were instructed that we couldn't impute anything to that, but it does leave an impression nevertheless. Because you're looking at this and you're you're seeing the, the horror photos of the body from the crime scene. And it's very impactful, Tony. Right. So this is going to be, um, it's, it's all leading up to what you've been covering this story since 2017. The media is covering it. Uh, everyone is there. So I'm very much looking for forward to next week and what happens there's so much at stake that that is going to be an interesting moment and just i just want to point out um tory tory chrisman in the comments had said you know we'd all like to hear from danny why don't we get to hear from danny just to be clear that it's really unusual for criminal defendants to take the stand they don't have to they have a right fifth amendment right not to self-incrimination and so most defense attorneys will advise their clients not to say anything and in our system of justice the jurors are told that they cannot read anything into that, that these that the defendant has the absolute right not to testify. Uh, but like you said, that can leave an impression. And I, I, I think he's probably not going to. And again, I'll say I have a feeling both sides feel that they're winning and that Danny and his attorney will think, hey, we got this in the bag. No reason to risk it with me on the stand. So we'll see if my prediction's true. That'll be Monday. You will be there, Jeffrey. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. Good work. All right, man. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you then. Now I will go down in
Again, again. 